Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually. With podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff, you can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com. Emotions are energy that create a vibrational frequency in our bodies to communicate to us. They are magnetic signatures, each having their own frequency, much like a sound wave. So if you think about frustration, we can all go, oh, I know what that feels like. But what is it exactly? Can you take it apart? Can we put it under a microscope? Can we actually say, what is that? Well, if you looked at it on sound wave, (laughs) Kind of like, you know, you look at a sound wave, you can see that, you know, people, we've all seen pictures of a sound wave, right? Yeah. It would have a certain signature. Well, they're magnetic signatures. But these magnetic energy signatures, each time frustration is in our bodies, okay, it's trying to give us a signal. It's trying to communicate to our brain, to us, to meet that goal it has a need and has a goal but it's not getting it so it's frustrated mm-hmm. so it's helping us to communicate well what exactly is that, that i need what would we do if we didn't have emotions well what did jesus do with emotions did jesus have them oh, oh yes yeah. in fact he got so stressed out in the garden of gethsemane he sweat blood Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, How could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. I'm excited to bring you this topic on emotion code therapy because of the difference that it's made in my mental and emotional health. My guest, Eileen Love, is an emotion code practitioner, and this is going to be a two-part series. So here today is part one, and it's covering all the different ways that the human body holds trauma and tries to convey the need for us to find healing. And this is going to be a little bit of a lengthy intro, and I hate that for you, but there's so much to unpack that I want to sort it out a little bit before we jump into the bulk of the episode. And my conversation with Eileen is full of examples 
of her personal um, journey through working with the human body for 30 years, scripture and firsthand experiences to the point that I realized I had to create the two episodes from all that Eileen shares. And part two will cover more of what an emotion code session looks like. And so the first thing I want to address is that this topic is going to be controversial in the Christian community. And the reason is because it has been hijacked by new age healers, or they've added their spin to the um, emotion code therapy. And before I explain why, allow me to give you a quick glimpse of why I brought emotion code healing to God for his input. And it's because of a very good experience that I had with something similar. And that's the apostic prayer ministry, or as many people call it, inner healing prayer therapy. In my theophostic prayer session, I received breakthrough healing for what I believe, and based on the peace that's in my mind and my life and my heart, to be the last layer of trauma for abandonment. And however, I'll be the first one to admit that if I get triggered again around an abandonment issue, it simply means that I still have some work to do for another layer of healing. And I'm open to that because God heals me in layers. But in the meantime, I live with a deep rooted peace because of theophostic prayer therapy. A little history on this type of ministry is that, and that's the theophostic prayer ministry. And a little history is that the there was a Baptist minister, Ed Smith, who developed the Theophostic Prayer Ministry model here in the United States back in the 90s. And it's really been beneficial. It's been around for a long time. A simplified ex explanation for what happens during a Theophostic therapy session is that you sit with someone who's trained in this type of therapy and they guide you with questions around a traumatic event in your life. And you talk with Jesus about what you are experiencing. In my Theophostic prayer work, I came to a place where I asked Jesus, where were you when my mother left me on the side of the road when I was six years old? And as I verbally asked God this question, I was sitting still, my eyes are closed, so there's nothing but darkness before me. And then the Holy Spirit gave me the most precious image of Jesus walking beside me. His hand is in the middle of my shoulder blades. He's looking down at me. Maybe I'm talking and he's listening, but he's looking at me and we're walking together. And that visual gave me proof that Jesus fulfills his promise that he'd never leave me nor forsake me. And so that one image broke off years of unforgiveness towards my mother. And the power of guided prayer through painful memories stored in the body has immense reward when God and the Holy Spirit are are engaged. And the outcome that I experienced with the Afostic prayer is why I wanted to know God's opinion about emotion code therapy. Okay, so back to why the New Age wants to make its claims on emotion code therapy. As believers, this, this is no secret to us. Whatever God says is good, Satan wants to distort it at the very least and destroy it at the very worst. So when we look at God's intention behind the healing quality of herbs and oils or natural and organic healing options, because in my humble opinion, before all of the genetic mutations and man-made viruses and chemicals that they put in food, et cetera, the human body made from a handful of dust would naturally find the healing elements that it needed from the earth. But Satan is not gonna let God get credit for that. So in a vague and unassuming way, Satan adds his half-truth to something and then twists the focus away from the creator, God, to the created, such as crystals, potions using herbs, as well as energy healings. In Satan's half-truths, he uses a connecting link, such as the fact that there is energy to the body. God has given us a beating heart that is independent of anything outside of itself. So it has this rhythm and it's a beat that you can feel when you touch your pulse. It's an electrical current that registers on medical equipment, say if you're in the hospital. 
But for us Christians, we know that God sustains us and that it is by his hand that we have breath, that we have life, and we can have healing in our body. So of course, Satan is going to introduce something that sounds legit like energy healings. Because if you agree that there's an energy to the body, then an energy healing sounds appropriate, right? So why does emotion code therapy fall under the type of category of Satan wanting to distort and or destroy it? Emotion code healing in a very simplistic explanation is a therapy that locates and dislodges trauma trapped in the body. And we all know that the body holds trauma and sometimes it gets so many layers buried on top of it that we lose sight of what the problem could be. So using the powerful name of Jesus and inviting Holy Spirit to discern trauma hidden in the body, people are finding healing and breakthrough for physical ailments that have no medical explanation. Mental health is restored. Anxiety is gone because people are being set free from trauma. And my favorite is set free from past trauma that the body has held on to. One of the unique things about emotion code healing is that it addresses the unique way that God has created us as mind, body, spirit, and soul. The intricacies with which God has created us can only be fully appreciated and accessed by the one who knows creation, and that's God. So calling on God's name for the restoration of our mind and our body is the only true source of healing. So please know that I'm not trying to twist anybody's arm on this. Do like I did. Check it out. Bring your concerns to God. Talk with him about your fears. Give him space to speak his truth to you. And here are three scriptures that you can start with in order to engage God's heart about mental and emotional healing and ask him to show you what it means to have a crushed spirit, something that is mental or emotional and how it can dry up your bones, which is a physical manifestation. So Proverbs 18, 14, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. Proverbs 15, 13, a glad heart makes a cheerful face but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. And Proverbs 17, 22, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. As solid Christians, we know to stay away from anyone who calls on any other name other than that of Jesus Christ for healing. We steer clear from those who would try to lead us to believe that crystals have some sort of magical powers. So when it comes to emotion code therapy, we're not looking for anything other than someone who calls on the name of Jesus, talks to Holy Spirit. And in my research, I even found professed Christian sites that used crystals as part of their healing process. And that's a big fat no. That's a deal breaker for me. Anything that deviates from God's name as the healing power is a strong no for me. And back to my guest, Eileen, she is a solid Christian sold out on the love of Jesus. And she and her husband came to the knowledge of Christ during the Jesus Revolution era. And that in itself is an interesting aspect of her story. And if you'd like to hear more about that, then check out the episode that she did with me on March 28th of 2023, titled, When a Husband Disengages, God's Love is Enough. All right, so back to the current topic at hand. When it comes to Eileen's daily pursuit of God's heart, there's no better day for her than inviting the Holy Spirit to give her discernment that allows her to lead God's children into breakthrough. In this episode, she talks about the journey God has taken her on over the past 30 years working with the human body. She goes into detail telling you what she's learned and how it impacted her. So I'll simply give you a quick overview. From being the first woman reserve firefighter with the city of Kirkland in the state of Washington, an EMT who worked in the ER, that was a pilot program where they introduced EMTs into an ER setting. Then she went on to be a massage therapist and an emotion code practitioner. 
at every phase, she's learned how miraculous the body is and the intimacy of God's care for his beloved children. After listening to Eileen, it's very intriguing to me to understand how the body has the ability to heal on a physical level, say, bruises or cuts, breaks like bones, surgery, and yet there can be additional damage on a mental or emotional level. It's becoming very apparent that to fully heal from various traumas against or to or in the body, it will also entail addressing the mental and emotional impact as well. So further fascinating to me is the way the body communicates with the other parts of the body, specifically the brain, and the body can have a whole conversation going on within itself, and we totally miss it. And yet it cries out to us, indicating where we need to take a closer look, calling us, demanding us to find a source of healing, all using the natural alarm system given to us by God himself, which is our emotions. So listen into these amazing examples that Eileen gives us of how the body conveys its need internally as well as externally. And for me, it's another beautiful display of God's sovereign design and the intimacy with which he has created us. Welcome, Eileen. I am so grateful that you have come back on the show because in our previous podcast episode, we briefly spoke of emotion code therapy and that you are a practitioner of this particular type of emotional release therapy. So welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I am so honored, so thankful that I had this opportunity to share about what God has done here and what he's doing, not only in my life, but in the lives of so many other women. I've had an opportunity to know your story, but could you tell our listeners, how did you get into 30 years of working with the human body? What is your story? You know, isn't it funny how we think we know where we're going and then God has a way of totally changing it, right? Because his ways are so much higher and so much better. So what happened? My husband had become a police officer. We had moved to Seattle. And when when we moved to Seattle, his job schedule was crazy. He worked six days on, two days off. So that meant that he would have a Saturday, Sunday off, but then it would be Sunday, Monday, and then Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. At the time, you know, Seattle's a big city. It ha- it's tied with LA for like the worst traffic in the country. And I'm trying to figure out what job I can work around my husband because I needed to help financially. And I wanted to serve in my church and be connected in fellowship. And I also wanted to have time with my husband. But here was my husband's schedule. So you work from four in the morning till noon. So that meant he had to be in bed by like no later than six in the evening. And then he only has weekends off every six weeks. Wait a minute. How in the world is this ever going to work? I mean, I, I pulled my hair out trying to figure out a job that I could work around my husband's schedule. And I finally threw up my hands and rested on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding and all of your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. I said, Lord, because I give up. I'm I'm a wreck. I'm a nervous wreck over this. I, I can't figure it out. So about a week later, my husband comes home and he's telling me that some of the guys that are that he knows as police officers are are deciding not to become police officers and they're going into the fire department because they have like, you know, one day on, two days off and, you know, they're better work schedules because they're all running into the same problems. And he says, you know, so I've been thinking about becoming a firefighter, but he didn't have a very good back. And, you know, when the alarm goes off at three in the morning, you got to jump up and go. Well, he's got to normally get up, stretch, go through this big routine. There's no way he could be a firefighter. So he came home and he's telling me this. And then he says to me, so I was thinking that, I just can't be a firefighter, but you know what? 
you could. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that is really funny, honey. That is just really funny. You know, I just laughed. I just thought that was ridiculous. And I felt this nudge in, the, in me, in the Holy Spirit saying, no, listen. I'm like, oh, no, wait, hold it. Hold it right there. Are you talking to me? And all I can say is the Holy Spirit just said, listen to your husband. This is my will. And I was shocked. But in all honesty, I've always been a different kind of a woman anyway. I've been a bit of a pioneer, adventuresome, you might say. And so I, <laughs> and I like to work out and I was, you know, fit and whatnot. And so, so I looked at him and I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, I think you could be a firefighter. And at that time, women, usually in the 80s, you know, like women firefighters, I was, I was pioneering work, you know, but I like that kind of style. I'm, I'm a pioneer person. So anyway, long story short, God opened up the doors for me to become a, a, a firefighter. And uh, I was the first woman reserve firefighter with the city of Kirkland, Washington. And, and while I'm in training, they do EMT training. You know, they're training you to be an emergency medical technician, right? And as I'm going through all this anatomy and physiology, you know, work, I am just absolutely fascinated. I am, I'm enthralled. I've always had a fascination with the body. I just think the bodies are so interesting and so complex. Well, so, so as I'm going through EMT training, I really, really saw my gifting. I had no idea it was there. No idea. Absolutely no idea. But I had a natural gifting. I, I understood it. And I remember at one point, I thought, well, what if I'm being, what if I'm deceiving myself? What if I'm thinking like, oh, I got this. And I go on a call and it's a bloody messy call and I freak out. What if I'm, what, how do I know? So I asked a couple of paramedics if I could ride with them that I knew. And they're like, oh yeah, come on along, right? So I go riding along with these paramedics and I'm all prepared for getting, well, if I have a meltdown, at least I can shrink in the background and you know <laughs> they'll cover me, right? Nobody will be so, relying on you. So, so I go on a call. They go on this call and it's a, it's a big deal, you know, motor vehicle accident. And the guy has a tension pneumothorax and it's, it's, it's messy. Okay. So I'm called in and all I can say is the peace of God just totally covered me. I knew what I was doing. I could handle it. And we, you know, airlifted the guy out and everything was fine. And I'm like, wow, God, you really have called me. This is a spiritual supernatural work that you have given me and I'm gifted. This is your cult. This is you. I could feel his presence with me in a very tense, incredibly, you know, life-threatening situation. So I went on to, you know, work as a reserve firefighter for three years. And then I also became a an AMT working as a pioneer project that was being started right in the city of Seattle. Dr. Copas worked for Harborview Medical Center, and he's like the king of emergency medicine. And so he started a pioneer program thinking maybe we could use EMTs in the ER because they have a lot of experience, but we don't have to pay them as much as a, as a nurse, but they can do a lot of the, you might say the grunt work, the cleaning up, you know, the taking care of this, taking care of that, but relieve some of the pressure off of the nursing staff and use these, these wonderfully qualified people to work with people in trauma. And so I became part of this pioneer program. It was the first time ever being introduced into the medical system in the United States. So I worked in this ER for eight years as an EMT. And during this time, it was really interesting because I worked night shifts. They're hard. 12-hour night shifts are, are grueling, you know? Um, yeah. and, and that was led by the grace of God, truly, Sherry. And the Lord showed me during that time that 
this is what he said to me. I need people to work the night shift for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, I don't have children. So this was something he had gifted me to do. I could do it. And I needed his grace to do it because it's, it's tough, you know? Yeah. And he said, I want to meet people when they need me at three o'clock in the morning and they're in trauma. Mm. And if you would, if you would ever be so kind as to offer yourself up for my sake to serve my people, to serve all the people in the world, you know, anybody out there, I, I would be ever so happy if you would be willing to do that. And so, yes. And yes. Oh my gosh. It was an amazing experience. So I did that for eight years and then, and then I started to sense that God was like wanting me to do something else. So I started really praying about it and the Lord started to show me that he wanted me to become a massage therapist. And I'm like, really, Lord, this is a big stretch, like working from ER to going into massage. I'm about 40 now. Right. So mind you, it's grueling to work that kind of ship work and different things. So I was ready for a break. My body was certainly ready for a break, but he said, yeah, just trust me. I want, we're going to do something different. So he called me to become a massage therapist and you know, when you go into the massage world, it can be new agey and woo-woo-y and, you know, all kinds. Of, and I was like, oh, no, no, I'm a lover of God's word. I am I am sold out for Jesus 100%. I'm probably going to be up against all kinds of demonic, who knows what warfare in this situation. I was scared. Honestly, I was nervous about it. But God really put it on my heart that this is what he wanted me to do. And he was just trust me. So this was in the late or mid, like, 1997. And turned out, ended up going to one of the top massage schools in the country. And it was in Seattle. And the really interesting thing about the school that I went to was that they also were able to work with Bastyr University, which was a naturopathic school near the area, considered one of the top naturopathic schools in the country as well. And in that, they had cadaver work. So they allowed us to work with cadavers to really understand anatomy and physiology and how the muscles were fit together in the body. So we had a full cadaver class. Now for a lot of people, that's like, oh, you know, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like fascinated with how God put the body together. So that was one of the most interesting trainings I've ever had was working with the body in that respect and looking and handling bodies, you know? So, so I did that. Okay. And I have been doing that as a massage therapist now for over 23 years, but in the process of working in that's in the school, one of the things that God started to show me was the importance of grasping how our bodies are put together, not just physiologically, like, you know, physically, you know, as far as how the lungs fit in. And it's an amazing thing when you see the puzzle of how the body actually fits mm-hmm. together. I mean, anyone who has done a cadaver class, I don't know how you could ever walk away and think it's, a, it's an amazing, I mean, I would walk, my eyes would be, oh. God is amazing how he created each one of these organs and how they all fit together. And they're all so different. How do you keep 13 systems all going together simultaneously 24 seven? And we're not even aware of it. We don't even think about it. Most of us don't even know where our pancreas is or, or, or where our spleen is, or, you know, how, how the, the, you know, the the blood work works or any of it. We don't understand. We don't spend time thinking about it. We don't know how much time do we spend even understanding our bodies? Not very much. Right. Right. Exactly. It's absolutely fascinating. So, so after I started working as a massage therapist and having also worked in the ER, I began to notice a lot of important things. Like there's signals, there's things that the body are trying to tell us. The body has a language. The body is not just 
operating like as if it's a car. It's not just a, a thing that is separate or inanimate. It's connected to us. So you and I know that. But if we have a stressor, they say 80% of our problems that we go through in life or that we have like as far as physical problems are concerned, right. are stress. Yeah. They say 80% of our physical problems are stress. But what, what does that mean? What is stress? As I got into massage work and started taking more and more classes and growing in my, in my profession, I started specializing in injury treatment and people in trauma. Because what started, to, I started to notice something very interesting that was happening with people. So they might have been in a bad car accident, for instance, and their bodies are getting better. They're out of the hospital. Their bodies are recovering. But what ends up happening is that they now have this total fear of ever getting into a car again. Mm, yeah. Or they come to that intersection where they drive by where the accident happens and they have, they get triggered. And, and, and these things start to happen and they don't know how to overcome it. So I started getting more and more training and understanding the nervous system mm-hmm. and in particular, the autonomic nervous system, which is part of our, what's called our lower brainstem. It's the very first part of our brain that is developed in the womb. Okay. And that part of our brain is really what controls all 13 systems of our bodies. Now that's fascinating. It's, they call it the reptilian brain because it's a lot like a lizard. But if you look at a lizard, they always look, turn their heads up and they're looking 360, like, because they want to know, is anyone going to eat me for lunch? Because everyone wants a lizard for lunch out here. <laughs> that's what they call it. So the reptilian brain, but this lower brainstem is concerned with one primary thing, safety. Am I okay? So it's checking in with the outside world. That's why it's heads looking all around. Mm-hmm. Now, believe it or not, you sense that. It's always on. It's on 24-7. They say this is the part of our, our brain that actually keeps us alive. Mm-hmm. It actually is watching out for us. It turns the lights on and turns it off at the very end. It's wanting to know, are we okay? Are you okay? And so it's looking on the outside circumstances, like, you know, weather, threats of any kind of that it's seen. And or here's the other big piece of the puzzle. It's checking in with the heart. So the heart, okay, is the first organ in our bodies that starts to beat, right? God is, you know, he knit us and formed us in our mother's womb, right? Psalm mm-hmm. 139, right? Don't you love it? Knit us and formed us. We're made in God's image. But what is God? God is spirit. So he needed his spirit, right? With the soul right? In a body and he's formatting and he's putting it, he's knitting it all together. It's absolutely fascinating, right? But while we're in our mother's womb and we're being formed, right? The first thing that starts to really kick in is the heart, right? Starts to beat, right? At about six weeks, right? Now the the neural tube is also, which is part of this lower brainstem, is also growing at the same time. Now, in the field of what's now known as neurocardiology, okay, they've done a lot of research and more and more research is being done all the time. And we used to think that the heart, that the, that the lower brainstem that controls everything is, is actually keeping the heart alive. But what they've actually found out that the heart is 60 times stronger 
and has a 60% stronger output than the, than the actual cranial brain. Hmm. Now, isn't that interesting? And that the heart actually has within it a little brain, all right, that are filled with 40,000 specialized cells called sensory neurites, all right, that form a neural network. So what do these do exactly? They communicate constantly. It's the center of everything, which coincides coincidentally with scripture, right? Scripture talks about the heart all the time being the center of everything. You know, God talks about the heart being the center, you know, of everything. He's worried about, he's thinking about it. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at what? The heart. He's always looking at, you know, guard your heart for out of it flow the issues of life. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. These are big, big, important concepts, right? So what does that really mean? The heart is about love and what it loves. What does it love? Where your treasure is or your heart is, right? Whoa. So are we talking about the spiritual heart? Yes. Yeah, we are. Are we talking about the soul heart? Yeah. The personality, the heart. Are we talking about the physical heart? Oh, now we're really talking. Because you know what they've really found out recently, Sherry? This is absolutely fascinating. What's that? Okay. That, okay, in the last, I want to say I took a trauma class about oh, probably oh, maybe 14 years ago. And in this class, they were talking about some new breakthroughs that they were discovering, okay? And that was with heart transplant. Dr. Pearson had done this work with heart transplants, okay? He studied people who had gotten heart transplants. Well, what happened after they got a heart transplant? Well, lo and behold, they find out that some people, they get the 72-year-old man who gets a young woman's heart. And now he loves hazelnut lattes and and ice cream. (laughs) It's just an organ, right? Like, so it's just an organ. Right. That's what I mean when we talk about the body. Oh, that's just we're just going to replace parts. It's an inanimate part of us. No, 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 no. It's it actually has it has its own personality, you might say. It has, you know, a heart. The scripture even says out of the heart flow immorality and the evil things that can flow out of our hearts. Good things flow out of our heart. Out of the goodness of the heart, a man brings forth things. These are important stuff here. Right. So so they had this very breakthrough discovery in this class that they were talking about. They just kind of court over this, all right? This young girl, she's 10 years old, right? She is getting a heart transplant from another young girl who had passed. So she gets this heart and a heart transplant. And then she starts having horrible nightmares. Mm. And her mother doesn't know what to do. So she takes her to a psychiatrist and says, my daughter's having these nightmares. I don't know what to do. I can't help her. What do I, you know, what do you think? Well, the psychiatrist perceived was that she actually was seeing something. These weren't nightmares. Like they weren't just random thoughts that, that what she was seeing over and over again was real. And what she was seeing was a murder. And it turns out that they bring in a forensic pathologist person who kind of helps them to whatever forensic, you know, a detective, you know, to try to figure out, they do a drawing. They mm-hmm. say, tell us what you're seeing. So they, she did, she draw a picture of what this person looked like. They found the person. And the person was convicted. This was a huge, huge breakthrough in the medical world as far as, okay, what exactly are we talking about here? So someone can get somebody else's heart and the heart is storing pictures. It's storing memories. Oh my gosh. And then communicating with the brain. Exactly. That's it right there. It's constantly communicating, constantly talking. One of the things that about the heart that what it sees, it's interesting the scripture talks about opening the eyes of my heart. What our heart has eyes, like what, 
what's that? What's this weird? Like, come on, let's just say this out loud. It's weird. Your heart has eyes. What does it see? What does your heart see? Well, it turns out that the heart, especially when it's growing up, like, you know, little children, they, they're so imaginative, right? The alpha state of the, of a child, right? They, they see in pictures, the heart sees and communicates in pictures, which is very interesting why the scripture often will, this Holy Spirit, God speaking through the word of God, right? Uses so many exa- parables, examples of pictures. He talks about the parable of our heart being a soil and the seed coming on the, the soil. Yeah. It yeah. talks about our heart is the soil that the word of God goes into. Well, what does that really mean? Okay, so, so our hearts are like soil. That's what the scripture says, we're like soil. All right. They receive things. Okay. And then what happens when we receive things? Well, can we receive things in the womb? Can a baby receive things in the womb? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, are we alive in the womb? So, well, think about this. Well, how does Rebecca in the Bible talk about how she's praying to God about this wrestling that's going on in her womb? Esau. And Jacob are fighting. Wait a minute. In the in the womb. They're wrestling. Well, if you believe that life starts at conception, yes. Then you're experiencing life from conception exactly. forward. Exactly. Exactly. And then we have the story, a true story of, of course, Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist. And Mary comes in with the interaction there. And John the Baptist leaps in her womb in the presence of Jesus in the womb. Does that just like rock your world? I'm telling you right there, it's just absolutely fascinating. I start working more and more with people, more and more people with trauma. And then there's different kinds of what we call modality in, in massage work. There's a particular modality called cranial sacral therapy that works on balancing the autonomic nervous system, the system I was just mentioning to you, that lower brainstem that controls our bodies. Because if anyone out there has ever had trauma, they know that feeling of like, they are present. In my own experience, having quite a bit of trauma myself, I can walk in the spirit and I can know the Lord and I can be okay in my soul, but my body might be somewhere else. It's just not clicking. It's not, it's not working with me. What's up with that? Like, why does my body not want to join the party? Like, why are we not? All in unison. First Thessalonians 5, 23, right? 24. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Spirit, soul, and body. So what about this body? Dr. Vanderhoek, he's an internationally well-known psychiatrist who did pioneer work in the very beginning as a Harvard graduate with people who used to just be in sanatoriums locked away because, you know, back in the 70s, who they just didn't know what to do with people. You know, they they were just crazy. So they lock them up. And he was one of the pioneers who first started working medications and looking at pros, looking at different things. How can we help people? How can we bring them out of this horrible prison that they're in emotionally and so forth? Over the years, he's done, he's worked with traumas from war to abuse to natural disasters. He's worked with every kind of person you can imagine who's had trauma. So he wrote an interesting book, probably I don't know, 10 years ago or so now. And, and the title of the book is called The Body Keeps the Score. Because what he found out, which is now mandatory in 
universities that teach and help people in the colleges that are teaching psychology to people, understanding how does the human psyche work exactly. But what he discovered was that, you know what, as much as we can work with the soul, there's just really, like, these are my words, paraphrasing. Forgive me, Dr. Bernkopf, if I'm misparaphrasing you or simplifying it too much, but kind of this bottom line of the body keeps the score. It seems to have this built-in memory that makes up its own mind about how it, it perceives things and what it does that I can't fix. Psychology can't fix it. It just doesn't, it just has its own language, it has its own thing. And it's either in or out, it's gonna do it or not, but there's different ways we can help mitigate it. Now, mind you, Dr. Benikoff does not know the Lord, the Lord of everything. He's the Lord of our bodies. He created our bodies. And so he knows what they need, right? Mm -hmm. So what does this kind of what we would call now post-traumatic, they just call it post-traumatic stress. It used to be called post-traumatic stress disorder, but they dropped off the disorder because it's kind of a stigma. They want to make people feel bad anymore about you have a disorder because you've had trauma. The lower brainstem, mind you, I mean, the first part of our brain that, that you know, is developed in the womb is hardwired to our heart. Neurologically, they're in constant communication. So if the heart is about love, like belonging, it's about acceptance, it's about security and significance, it's wondering, it's place, like what are, the heart is about and what it loves, what, it, what is going to give them these things. And, and, you know, and then the lower brainstem is all about safety. It's constantly asking, okay, looking at the heart and going, are you okay? Checking in with us, are you okay? Because if you're not okay, I'm not okay. So what, what do I mean by that? You get into a tense situation, you're at work and you, there's some stuff going on at work. Do we not, our shoulders just start to rise up? Does our heart not start to beat? Do we might maybe even get sweaty palms? What's that? Who's doing that? Lower brainstem, responding, hormonally, physically. It might even say, get out of there, run for your life. Because it's always trying to protect us. Correct. Yeah. So I had a, a huge breakthrough experience while being a massage therapist that really rocked my world. So I had a client that came in to see me. She'd come in every few months. She had different little physical things going on. She wanted me to do some work on her hip. And she came in for this appointment and visibly uh, upset, very, very upset. And she said, Eileen, something's really wrong with me today. I, I just got back from this magnetic therapy and which I actually don't know, even know what that was, what she had done. But she, she said, and something's wrong with my body. I, I'm, I'm really afraid. There's something really, really wrong with me. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. It's okay. Just, just lie on my table here. We'll just see if we can find, you know, what's going on. So she lies on my table, face up, okay. And I just gently come up to the top of the table and kind of gently cradle her head under my, my, in my hands. And I feel this most amazing energy coming up from the bottom of her feet, coming all the way up her body to right at the base of my fingertips were just where I was cradling, right where her neck and her head were. I could feel it, but it stopped there. And her head felt like a bowling ball. It, in fact, it felt so heavy that it was actually kind of hurting my hands. And I thought, this is really strange. So I do what I always do when I'm working with people. I pray, ask the Lord, what do they need? 
what, what's going on here? God's given me a real intuitive gift. So I'm very intuitive. I can hear what God is saying, what their body's saying. I'm kind of an interpreter. I'm figuring out what's going on. I'm letting the Lord lead me as to what the person needs, what the skills he's given me to, to help them, right? And I'm lost on this because I'm like, whoa, what is happening? What is going on here? What do you want me to do here, Lord? And these are the words I hear. Her head is offended. Wait a minute. Did I just hear that? Did I hear that right? You're... Her head is offended. And all of a sudden, I remembered that she had told me in her previous intake, she had been a victim of domestic violence and that her ex-husband had, had beaten her very badly and had given her a head wound, actually split her head open. This is what God was showing me. Her head is offended. And what I got the understanding at that moment was, okay, if you or I get offended, you think about it. We're offended with someone. We, In my mind's eye, what I do is I cross my arms and I go, no, <laughs> go away, right? Yeah. Uh, in front of me, like, no, I don't want to hear anything you have to say. Go away. You have offended me, right? We just we close down, right? We shut down. Yeah. Yeah. So what I was perceiving and understanding what her head was saying at that moment was she goes in to have this magnetic therapy that's supposed to give her energy and her whole body, right? But her head was saying, I don't trust you because when I was trying to tell you to get away from this man who had been abusive over and over and over, I was telling you, run, get me out of here. You're, this man is not safe. I'm trying to tell you to get away. You didn't listen to me and you let me get wounded. You and I have a problem. I don't trust you. Wait a minute. But I understood this instantly. It's like a word of knowledge. I got an understanding. Wait a minute. So so her, her head was basically saying, you think you can just go in and have some little magnetic therapy and everything's going to be fine? Mm. No, it's not. Okay. Because I'm not receiving it. I'm so mad at you for never protecting me when you allowed me to get hit in the head and break my skull. Mm. Oh, okay. So can our bodies actually hold resentment? Yes, they can. That emphasizes that unique way that God's blended the body, the mind, the spirit. Yeah, all together. So our bodies get offended with us. Can they hold on to offense? Yes, they can. So what I understood at that moment, and also having had a lot of work with women and people over the years and counseling and just different, you know, working with them and loving them and discipling and so forth. You know, when we're offended and we, what are we looking for? We're looking for reconciliation. We're looking for like, I want to be heard. No one's listening to me. You're not listening to my side of the story. It's always about you. I want to be heard. Yeah. Now the lower brainstem is about the level of a two-year-old, which, you know, we can kind of poo-poo back off, you know, it's two-year-olds, but two-year-olds have a voice, right? Yeah. Now they may not be able to speak yet. But they can sure let you know if they're they unhappy. Can, they can convey being unhappy, that's for sure. <laughs> and they are really trying to get our attention, get your attention, right? Yeah. So, so this lower brainstem is on a two-year-old level from the standpoint of just trying to get a message to us. They're mm -hmm. trying to speak to us. What is it that they need? What is it they want? 
They want to right. be heard. They want to know, are you going to keep me safe? Are you going to protect me? Are you going to, like, if you get cold, isn't our body saying, can I get me a coat? And what if I yeah. didn't get a coat? Right. What if it was hungry and I didn't feed it? Or thirsty and didn't give it a drink? Would we have a problem with our bodies? Yeah, I think they would start screaming. Do you know what I mean? They would start to yeah. react. Get louder and louder. Correct. It's a two-year-old level. Don't think it through about all the other things that are going on. It's all about them, right? Yeah. And plus, it reminds me, too, that when you're offended, you won't even take help. Like, here comes the magnetic therapy, beautiful experience in the body. Yeah. But yet the offense where they, the two-year-old crosses his arm and says, no, thank you. Not going to listen to it. Not going to accept it. Correct. So that's very interesting. Exactly. It's very interesting. So what we really realized was that the, the brain, this, this part of our bodies that are controlling, like in this case, offended with her, part of her was saying, you know, what, what it's really wanting is it needed to be heard and to be explained and accepted and, and loved for like apologize. Like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. I didn't mean it. So many things happen in our lives, you know, that as we look back, whether we've done it or others have done it, like parents, you know, you think about children. I didn't mean that, honey. I, I didn't mean, you know, that you get, you know, they're going through their own stresses. They're not trying to hurt us. They're not trying to put us in danger, but you know, they're just trying to work it out and things happen and, and they, they make mistakes and, mm. and it causes pain and suffering. Our bodies are screaming inside, trying to get our attention with oh, emotions. Hmm. What are those, those things, right? They're trying to tell us something, but we don't know what to do with them. So we try to push them aside because they're uncomfortable. There's some right. nasty little things that get in our way, you know? And so we don't want to talk. We just want that feeling to go away so we can press on and do our own thing. Healing is so layered that I don't think- yeah, it's complicated. People, yeah. yeah, I don't think people really understand. And when we don't understand, then we just shut down because how do you find your way out of that? I know when I was growing up, you were told just to deal with it, you know, right. suck it up, deal with it. So grow think, up. yeah, grow up. So I think we walk away with that and thinking that's the best medicine for <laughs> so many things, but yet here's an example. Now it might've had more to do with my grief than I'm aware of or thinking of at the moment, but even earlier when you gave that example of somebody in a car accident takes on that trauma. So the body heals, but yet the trauma is still there mentally and emotionally. When my husband passed, he had a heart attack in his vehicle. So he got it to the side of the road. Actually, we live out here in the, a rural area. So he got it into one of the fields. And even knowing where that was, I would not drive by that for two years. I wasn't in the accident, but because that it was him, there was trauma associated with riding by the spot. Exactly. I know he's not there. I mean, that's not the problem, but yeah, I did not want to look at that spot. We don't really talk about that kind of stuff because it's like, well, what do, so except that, you know, get over it, just get over it, right? Go drive past it already. Now, come on, just deal with it. Well, what yeah, is, he's not there. What's your problem? What is he's actually not there. going on? So how do we get in touch with our hearts? How do we get in touch with our bodies? What is really going on there? How do we reconcile this, this, this brokenness, really, this this. And, maybe, and maybe that could leap us into the emotional code. When you were a massage therapist, did this experience with the woman and her brain that was offended, did that move you into emotional code practitioner? So, How did you yes, that was an amazing experience for me. It was life changing for me because it answered some of the deepest things that I am working with people's bodies for many, many years. At that point, it was probably 20 years. Even though we're trained in this work, because we're working with bodies, bodies have a language. They speak all the time, but we're just not trained to listen to them. 
And yeah. I myself had my own experiences while working in the ER, working night shifts, pushing myself. You know, you just got to push yourself. You're in the middle of procedure. You have to go to the bathroom. Well, you got to hold it because you got you can't just say, so excuse me, everybody, I got to go, you know? So you, you're constantly putting your body, like you might say, in harm's way. And after a while, my body got very offended with me. And I had to really work through and reconcile with my body because I was, had that experience, okay? So I had already experienced that myself before having this woman's experience, but this was a completely different understanding. Well, what do we do about it? What does it need? It needs to be heard, reconciled, and we need to, we need to kind of repent. We need to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and turn around. And say, I'm, like she said, I'm going to make this better for you. I, I'm so sorry. What do, we, what do you need? How can I help you? You know, you'd be feeling like I don't care about you. And that you got hurt and that I didn't care. You just go on with your life. You know, you get your, you know, she had her surgery and blah, 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 you know, you just move on. And meanwhile, her brain is, her head literally is thinking, I don't know if I can ever, ever trust. That's very fascinating. Trust. Mm -hmm. The scripture talks about not hardening our hearts. Huh, what exactly does that mean? Can our hearts get hard? Can we get offended in our heart? It's physically, I mean, to our hearts, really? Well, I mean, isn't that interesting? It so is. That, I can so speak that, for that. So that mm -hmm. brought me into more and more classes and understanding of trauma. And then as COVID came into the story, okay, in 2020, I had a very interesting experience. So it was the beginning of 2020, and I mentioned in the previous podcast that my husband had quite a bit of PTSD, having been a police officer, and seen a lot of trauma. And you know what? These men and women in these fields who have seen a lot of trauma, you know what? The body can only take so much watching. I mean, the scripture talks about even not exposing your eyes to violence, because it's traumatic. Our, our body is right. So what just happened? Like seeing these horrible scenes or, you know, my husband used to say, I wish I could erase or unsee what I have seen. But these things begin to traumatize people because they are living nightmares to them. So what happened during this, this, this period of time is I was working with a couple that were missionaries in Cuba. And, and I would be praying for them. I was sort of like an intercessor. And so I was praying for, for them. And I got a couple of visions as I was praying. And one was of an earthquake where, like, you know, you see rubble and the dogs are, are, are you know, sniffing and, and barking and because there's someone, you know, buried under the rubble, right? Mm -hmm. And then the, all the workers go in and they start pulling all the rubble away, right? And then I saw another vision. And this was of a, of a car that was coming around the side of a, of a road. And I'm looking at it from a distance and it's on like a mountain road that where there was an avalanche that had come down and covered the road. The car couldn't get any further because there was an, had been an avalanche and it blocked the road. And I started praying about, Lord, why are you showing me this? What does this mean relating to Cuba and what I'm praying for? And he said, the people okay, are buried under oppression, under all the experiences of having lived in poverty. And the body of Christ was hurting. And it was like he wanted me to pray. They were emotions that were had buried these people alive. Mm. And they were crying out, but they didn't know how to get off all this emotional suffering, physical suffering, psychological suffering that they had been through. 
And then the Lord reminded me of a scripture where the story of Lazarus and how he died and how Mary and Martha had come and, you know, sent the message rather to Jesus and had asked him to come. And, 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 you know, and Jesus is very emotionally torn up when he comes on the scene and he's crying. He's caught up in this emotional pain that the people are, are in. They mm -hmm. all don't understand what is going on. Why did you let this happen? If he was really God, if you were really God, you would have, could have done this. Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. And then Jesus, right? He says, roll away this stone and calls him forth. So that was a little bit of another breakthrough when it came to my understanding of emotions. Okay. Mm -hmm. So so we can be emotionally buried, right, Sherry? We can have traumas happen to us and we're praying, you know, we're, we're seeking the Lord. We're claiming the scriptures. We're believing the promises and everything, right? We're pushing through everything. But dang, what do we do with these? Like, our bodies are just not joining the party. <laughs> they're, they're, they're crying out, but we don't know how to help them, right? And my husband, who had had quite a bit of PTSD, had been listening to a podcast from this colonel that he that he liked to listen to. And in this, in this podcast, the colonel got a little emotional. And he said, I wanted to share something with all of you out there. I have a friend who had been trying to encourage me to have some emotion code work done. And I was reluctant, but I finally went. She thought it would help me. And with my, you know, with this PTSD, I'm sure, you know. So I went and had some work done. And I just want to say what a difference it has done in my life and how much it's helped me. So if any of you are struggling out there emotionally, I would highly recommend that you see an emotion code practitioner. So my husband goes, huh, the colonel got a little emotional. Now my husband, very, it's a very compassionate man, but he did not let his emotions out. Like he was not going to get emotional about nothing because I really think for a lot of, I recently talked to another police officer who's retired and he was sharing with me about how, you know, men want to hold their emotions in. And he goes, men don't want to, you know, it's like a house of cards. If you pull out one of these cards, one of these emotions, the whole thing could crash in and you could collapse. And I can remember as my husband would share with me as a police officer, I mean, they had these horrible calls that go on to suicides, you know, bloody, messy, stuffy, horrible things that people, you know, have done to each other. And what do you do with all that? How do you come home and, 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 and unravel that and process it? Right. right. Yeah. Well, you know, the firefighters at the time, you know, they would have debriefings and, you know, they'd have, you know, they'd go on calls and they would have professionals come in and help them walk and talk it out, you know, but cops, oh, no, no, you got to like, just suck it up, right? Go home and suck it up. And mm -hmm. they didn't offer help for police officers. You know, that's changed quite a bit now. They're starting to get more sensitive to those things, but okay. it's all about fear of what will happen with emotions. And so if we start letting them go, and so emotion code work is about helping people look at emotions in an objective way, mm -hmm. finding out what emotions are related to the story without having to even tell the story and releasing them. Because believe it or not, we are electromagnetic beings. I mean, we're physical beings, but it's electromagnetic is what we're made out of. Mm -hmm. We are energy. <laughs> it's not woo-woo, like look at an EKG. I was going <laughs> to say the heart beats with no source. So yeah, there's right. a current and, there. And when we talk about emotions... What are they exactly? What are they? Emotions are energy that create a vibrational frequency in our bodies to communicate to us. They are magnetic signatures, each having their own frequency, much like a sound wave. 
So if you think about frustration, we can all go, oh, I, I know what that feels like. But what is it exactly? Can you take it apart? Can we put it under a microscope? Can we actually say, what is that? Well, if you looked at it on a sound wave, <laughs> kind of like, you know, we look at a sound wave, you can see that, you know, people, we've all seen pictures of a sound wave, right? Yeah. It would have a certain signature. Well, they're magnetic signatures. But these magnetic energy signatures, each time frustration is in our bodies, okay, it's trying to give us a signal. It's trying to communicate to our brain, to us, to meet that goal. It has a need and has a goal, but it's not getting it, so it's frustrated. Mm -hmm. So it's helping us to communicate, well, what exactly is it that I need? What would we do if we didn't have emotions? Well, what did Jesus do with emotions? Did Jesus have them? Oh, oh yes. he did. In fact, he got so stressed out in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat blood. Did he have a physical body? Oh, yes, he did. What, what and that's is, a real thing too, sweating blood. That is a that does oh, physically that is, happen under great stress. Correct. He was taking on the sin of the world. Now he had a sinless body. Mm -hmm. Perfect. How stressed out do you think his body might have been with the concept of taking on the sin of the world? He was praying to God not to not, not to take away his assignment, but to take away the stress, the absolute inability of his body to comprehend what was about to happen. His body is going, I can't do it. He's praying. He's praying because his body is going, oh, wait. And, and God heard his prayers hmm. and sent angels to comfort him, to strengthen him because he needed it. The Holy yeah. Spirit. So does he understand stress? Does he understand what, what it's like for our bodies to go through stress? Yeah. Yes, he does. Isn't it comforting to be reminded that Jesus knows firsthand what it is like to live in this earthly body? And because he knows it, he's also provided a way for our bodies to communicate what it needs. And it starts with listening to our bodies, listening to our emotions, tracing the pain to the lie that is embedded in our pain. And if we're honest, sometimes we don't want to engage the pain. I mean, if we start crying, will we ever stop? And there are times when we shove that painful memory down to shut it up, to forget it. But it never goes away until you look it straight in the eye and process it. When we avoid the pain long enough, the dissonance makes it convenient to simply pile on the next trauma and the next trauma until we have no clarity on why we've become one big survival skill versus relationship skilled or why our bodies are betraying us. Stay tuned for part two where we get into what a standard emotional code session looks like. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark. <laughs>